Welcome to Coming Along Nicely. We're two brothers, Rich and Tim, who recently went back to school. Every week, we're discussing one thing we're learning in our classes, and we want to invite you to come along with us. Where there were vibes, there were aesthetics. The question I was thinking of is theory, maybe. What else did I say? A statement? A presupposition? I value, like, absurdity and humor. I used to make a really good super-duper sandwich back when I was in kindergarten. Are you familiar with bro country? And I just spilled it on myself, so that's great. No. <laughs> it's all good. Let's start right here. Uh, okay. <laughs> I uh, I am done with the semester. I might have said that last week. I'm done. I'm actually done here in Florida, so I'm packing up today and heading back north. Not happy about it. Uh, if anybody is wondering, I'm actually not done with school. So, like, some of my friends have texted me and asked me, like, are you done? Are you moving back? I am moving back. I'm not done with school because I'm doing some stuff over the summer. And so I'm, like, not technically graduated. It's a whole, like, it would be so much easier if it was just cut and dry. But here's where we are. So uh, that's that. And I got my final grades back and realized there nice. was, yeah. So there's one paper I wrote in my portfolio that I was like, this might be an interesting thing to bring onto the podcast. So it's a little different, I guess, cause it's something I, I wrote and not, not just like an, you know, external idea, but this paper was, we all had to write our aesthetic statement a 10 page aesthetic statement for expository like writing aesthetic like yes like that word we all used like 5 years ago yes exactly uh before there were vibes there were aesthetics and even before that there was aesthetic and like more the diction- dictionary dictionary definition of the word so pretty much like the aesthetic statement is is you as a writer saying this is you know who i am this is how i write this is what is important to me it i guess it's like a philosophy you know maybe maybe if you did something like this in your realm it would be more of like here's my philosophy of or my model of counseling for us it's like here is my aesthetic of writing does that kind of make sense? Kind of like your your writing values. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. So when I wrote mine, we, you know, different people in the class, we workshopped each other's and uh one of one of the guys, one of my friends who like read along with mine was like, "You know, Tim, I I think you wrote this very well. I happen to disagree with some of it, but I think you wrote it really well." And then other people were like, yeah, I think I agree with some of this stuff. So I guess I was thinking I could go through the three sections and kind of just give a little bit of it and then see sure. your thoughts. If you think, yes, I now, agree. You said that. Yeah. Well, yeah, you said people agree and disagree. Were you like making hard stances or. Because a paper about your aesthetics and writing seems more opinion based than facts based 
Yes. Not that opinions can't be based by facts, but it doesn't seem like you're like, this is how you have to write. And if you don't, you're wrong. Well, it is. It is like opinions and values, like we were saying. So, you know, if you value something that somebody else doesn't, that's Mm -hmm. where that's where the disagreement is. Or, you know, we've all picked up when, when you pick up a book and you like it or when you pick up a book and you dislike it. It's not always that that person is bad at what they do. It might be that they're good at doing something that you don't like. You know what I mean? So, okay. So that's yep. kind of where the, I get uh, it now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I was just, for some reason, when you first said that, I pictured someone being like, um, actually, I don't agree with your point of view. Yes. Well, I mean, that was, that's kind of it. But hey, that's, uh, that's fair. So, um, the first, I, I guess, so there's three sections and maybe, yeah, I'll, I won't talk through the intro or anything, how I kind of framed it, but the first section writing on genre, I said, embrace an angle. So that's it's kind of the heading of the first section. So, and this is actually the one that maybe people agree or disagree with, but I think that that whether you're talking about writing, whether you're talking about music, whether you're talking about movies, like I've always had this thing where people ask me, what is your favorite, uh, you know, movie or what is your what type of movie do you like? What type of book do you like? And my whole life, it's been like puzzling to me because I'm like other people just like certain types of things. And I don't like I I like this movie I like that movie but the people who like both of those movies don't like each other you know what I mean kind of like we both said in high school that like we weren't neither we weren't like the popular kids but we're the kids who were like popular with everybody and in the same way we were the filler friends you know we helped friend groups stick yeah, like we could we could get into this group. Yeah, and kind of like uh yeah, filler. Like but but yeah, so anyway, the connection I'm seeing with with genre is like actually, I don't know if I am seeing the connection now that I opened my mouth. Um oh, yeah, yeah. But some people are like they're the the goth kids or they're the, you know, they like uh horror movies and that's like their camp i like certain things from each group and so anyway talking about about genre i i was kind of saying like the stuff i appreciate is when somebody picks and owns their genre and their angle and they sell out to it so there are people who like i was saying a second ago only like their one different type of music or movies or whatever. There are also people who are convinced that they can't be categorized. Like, like, no man, my art doesn't, it doesn't conform to restrictions. Like categories Uh, are, you know, and then when that person uploads their music to Apple music, you have to pick a genre and they, pick alternative 
And it's like, okay, well, there's your answer right there. That's literally what alternative means. It's like, you can think that there's no such thing. And like, whatever you have to tell yourself, I guess, to make good art, that's fine. But for me, I like, I like when you say, hey, I think that my work falls within this category. And so I'm going to sell out to it and I'm going to make the next new, like I'm going to define what a country song sounds like now, or I'm going to define what new horror films sound like now. So I guess I'll pause there. Am I making any sense? I I think so. Um, so essentially you, you like someone who's like committed to and blazing a trail in a certain genre rather than like ambiguously just letting themselves be creative in every direction. You maybe see that sometimes as a creating an inferior product, I guess, to use capitalistic terms. <laughs> uh, that's, that's interesting. Well, I think that, I think that if you, if you tell yourself that, genre doesn't exist and if you tell yourself like i can't be categorized i can't be restricted in my art i think that that's what it is it's that it's that you're trying to not be restricted and you're trying to i guess you're you're trying to write instinctively or make art instinctively and that's good like you don't want to be you don't want to be too in your head or else you can't be creative and that's how sometimes that's that's how everything ends up being the exact same and so so it's not a bad thought that oh man i just i just like make art or i don't even make art art makes me like that kind of thing but i think that that's an immature view of it because once you write like a certain amount or once you sing a certain amount of songs you you're not going to be able to help but notice that there are certain things that you are repeating there are certain mm-hmm. there are certain things that make you unique and so at a certain point i think like why not say hey i i make uh i write sitcoms that's what i've noticed that's what i do is what i like and the sitcom has certain, you know, it has certain time formats. It has certain ways that you write a joke. It has certain assumed audiences and different things. Why not say, Hey, here are the restrictions. And now I'm going to break them and do something new. I think that's a much more mature version of that thought rather than just like pretending that there's no restrictions, that people don't have any expectations, that I just like exist free floating in the world. Why not say, hey, nobody has ever done this in a sitcom before, and we're going to be the ones to do it. We're going to write the next chapter. Or in like this is, uh, you know, so country music right now. I don't know if you're familiar. Are you familiar with bro country? Bro country? Yes. Bro country. No. Okay. Well, you've you've definitely heard it, whether or not you know it. So bro country is when you turn on country radio, 
And a lot of the big songs right now, like Florida Georgia Line, maybe they maybe they were the ones who innovated this. But like you're on the country radio and you're hearing like auto-tuned vocals, you're hearing trap, hip hop, you know, hi-hat beats. And when you really like, if you turn the volume down, you're like, this could be an R and B song. And but it, it's country. And it's, you know, they're singing with like twang and all that kind of stuff. So I think that's an example, whether you like it or not, that's another conversation. But that's an example of like, hey, guys, we're going to be the country artists who bring in this thing from trap or who bring in this thing from some other. Like, we're going to be the ones who break the rules and come up with what's next. And I think that uh, yeah, you can. I was thinking too, that sounds like what Lil Nas X did with. Uh... I forget that song. Old Town Road. But the song that everyone was losing their mind. Yeah, Old Town Road. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because... So essentially, if I can cut you off, you're saying that more creativity comes when you decide to start from a certain zone. Like when you put yourself in a certain camp and say, this is what I'm doing, you're able to be more creative than when you're just free flow creating something yeah yeah the i think the line that i like end this section on is something about like the point of any art is like to cut down to the soul but you have to pick a knife and then cut deep so in other words you don't cut you don't cut without a knife like your hand, your hand, uh, I can't just jab my hand into your underbelly and like expect to do anything, you know? Mm-hmm. But at the same time, is this knife better than that one? Maybe, but like that's that's the decision you have to make is like, this is my tool. I pick the novel. I pick the rock song. And within these bounds, I'm going to create within these bounds. I'm going to break them and I'm going to create something new. However you choose to do it. I just think there's like an honesty there. And like you were saying, you have to start somewhere. You have to see yourself somewhere in order to create something great. But like I said, this is the one where my classmate, go ahead. Well, this is the stupidest example I could think of ever. Um, but it's the one I think of. I've I've worked a lot with with kids, which means I've worked a lot with Legos. And it kind of for some reason, the analogy I'm thinking of is when you're just sitting in front of an open tub of tech like Legos, mm-hmm. you don't make anything. You're just like, um, I guess I can just start clicking stuff together. But if you at least approach with approach it with some sort of like I'm going to make a car. You could make a really cool, interesting car. You can make something with six wheels. You can make something with eight wheels, three wheels, four wheels. At least having some sort of like pattern to go off of then lets you be more creative than just like slapping bricks together and then saying like, this is just what I made. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a good point. You have to... Like one of the 
the the old cliche about like starting with a blank page but yeah you have to start somewhere and you can tell yourself with the lego example you can tell yourself like oh i'm just gonna let the legos build themselves but at some point if you're really being honest you have the thought in your head of like oh but now i'm making a car or now i'm making a rocket ship it's just it's just natural like Things fall into categories. Artist types don't like that, but it just is what it is. And even if you can make something completely formless and void, you have to take that to the marketplace. And somebody is going to tell somebody is going to tell somebody, oh, this is who they are or this is what they do. So it's, it's just unavoidable that, uh, that things are going to get categorized. But I think just wrapping this section up, my main point is you have to pick an angle and know your angle. And I don't care if it's this one or that one. I don't care what genre you pick, but you have to pick it and sell out to it and, and find a way to be creative there. uh, In my opinion, or maybe I shouldn't even say you have to do that. I have to do that. That's, this is my aesthetic statement and that's, how I see it. So are you saying that like, I'm sorry, I keep asking questions. Do you think I shouldn't say, are you saying, do you think that the reason it's good to own a zone or own an angle is because like by choosing to say, for example, I make rock music, like you then have to, kind of study and learn what other people have done, like find the paths you essentially by committing to one thing, get to become a master of it. You learn like the tricks of the trade. You kind of already touched on this. And then by learning like what the masters have already done, you can either choose to copy it and stand on their shoulders and learn from their highs and their lows, but then also like put twists on it. Let me think. It's almost like better educationally to commit to something because by committing, you're choosing to like be a student of it. I think to some extent, yeah, that is it. I think that, yeah, you have to, you have to know, you have to know what it is that you are doing and that, that you value. Like, on some level, the the other end of this is that it's not just what you create, but it's also, and you're getting at this, it's also what you take in. Like, we all receive, you know, I'll I'll just, I guess, stick with the music example for this one. Like, before anybody ever writes a song, they've heard thousands of them. And there is no denying that if you grow up listening to country music or folk music or hip hop, that is going to influence the type of music you make, even if you make something different. It's like if you, gosh, I'm forgetting specific examples right now, but there are certain, there are certain like funny bands where it's like, uh, Maybe post Malone. I, I 
I really don't know. So don't quote me on this, but like there, there are certain artists where it's like, oh, so you grew up listening to, uh, you know, rap music. And I, I didn't, I wouldn't have guessed that because you don't make rap music, you make pop music. But now that you say that, I can totally hear it. And mm-hmm. my point is just getting back to what you're saying, I guess. Yeah, all of this stuff swirls around in your mind. And at a certain point, like in, in creating anything, there are decisions to be made. And so like when you say being a student of it, it's not in like a textbook sense of like, I'm taking notes on like what it means to be, you know, a rock star. That's not it. But I think that you have to be a good noticer and you have to pull all these things together and say, I like this from over here. I like that from over there. And at a certain point that involves just picking your own angle. Like this is what, this is, this is my starting point. And I'm going to create something really awesome here. Hmm. Okay. So I, hmm, I, I just, I wonder if, okay, I shouldn't say I wonder if in my own experience, though, I think the, the being like a student, like school student though, helps a little bit with creativity too. Um, like, And I think that makes your argument stronger. Okay, so so an example. When I was doing like JV stuff all the time, um, there's a very specific like feel that I found to be successful in doing junior high stuff, specifically with like games, with games and hosting. So I like, luckily I enjoyed this stuff. So I just was like, okay, I'm going to find people who do this really well, who like host and keep attention and play games that are interesting. And I'm going to notice like what they do that is good. What they do is bad. So uh, at the time I'd watch a lot of like good mythical morning. They're a duo on YouTube. They do a lot of games. They host. Um, and I, I'd, I'd watch and I'd say to your point, I'd kind of catch things, pull things out. This really worked. This was kind of weak. Um, I'd watch like other YouTubers. I'd watch stand-up comedians. I'd watch um, even I can remember there was one time I think you were there. We went up to a uh, when the Guardians were in the World Series. We went up to one of the watch parties. And I can just remember taking notes on the hosts and being like, okay, here's something that they did that was good. I can take from that. Oh, wow. Here's something they did that was terrible. and kind of by like the the actual student side of it like studying it kind of helped me then be more creative which i guess is like looking at creativity more as like the <clears throat> the cookbook like aesthetic of it like there's a creativity to cooking but there's also just like you got to learn what ingredients go good together like you can't just i mean you could i i used to make a really good super duper sandwich back when I was in kindergarten. Um, but now like I learned, you know, now that I'm not like five, I've learned that maple syrup and mustard shouldn't go on a sandwich together. Um, yeah. Although 
Now, now that I've gotten better at cooking, there probably is a way of making that work, but not the way I was doing it. So by actually like be, by being a student of it and and studying, I guess, which is a really lame word, I think, especially to certain art people, you don't want to like study, you want to feel more, but like maybe feeling is how you study. I, I don't know. So I think that by like committing and studying to a certain angle, like you're saying, and really learning the ins and outs of it, you can then like break those things. Yeah. And also use what works. Well, like you get to use what works and then say like, okay, cool. I'm going to every song's in two, four, I'm going to do two, four, but I'm going to do this weird thing in the middle. I don't know. Yeah. No, I don't, I don't speak music. <laughs> you're, you're saying though, exactly in my opinion, what I'm trying to say, which is that, yeah, you, you take all that stuff in and Okay, so let's go to the, the super duper sandwich example. Uh, if people don't know, this is like an important moment of Nisley lore is <laughs> in, I don't know if you were in like first grade or what, but there was a... It was kindergarten. Yeah. So we were making a kindergarten cookbook. Yeah, so like a class project, every student brings in a recipe that they really like or that they made up or something. And, you know, some of them are like, Ice cream sundae, you know, one scoop ice cream, hot fudge, cherry on top, that sort of thing. But Rich, yours was the super duper sandwich, which was just open up, open up the fridge, put every single condiment and anything you can find (laughs) that tastes good, put it in the sandwich. And that is the best example because like that's that's exactly what I'm saying. Maybe we're using different types of language, but. When that's that's the immature version is put everything together, just do everything, be everything. There's no rules. The more mature example is like, okay, so the genre is sandwich. A sandwich is maybe two pieces of bread. Sometimes it's sliced. Sometimes it's folded over. There's stuff in the middle. A lot of times it's meat and vegetables. Maybe it's cheese. But the point is that there is a genre there. There are conventions and you can make something very conventional and it might be really, really good. You can make something unconventional, like you said, mixing mustard with this or that. But the point is like in your head, you know, you're making a sandwich. And now because you know that you can make the best one ever. Whereas when you're a kid and you try to make a super duper sandwich, you're just flying wild and it ends up not actually being that good so that's i think we're actually saying the same thing i was only saying you're not a student of it in the sense of like you know you don't go you don't take a college course on how to be a rock star but yes you are a student Mm, of it in the sense of yes you're always taking it in you're always noticing and learning so but well and yeah you know we've both talked a lot about the benefits of it for your own creative process to commit to an angle. But I think it's also really important for the consumer. Um, Cause like leaning heavy on the super duper sandwich, you know, idea, I felt a lot of pride in whipping all these ingredients together. It was gross. We're talking like mayonnaise, peanut butter, mustard, ketchup, chocolate sauce, syrup, honey, gross, gross. Um, 
but no one who I gave the sandwich to liked it. Right. Like when I left the room, they, they threw it away. Um, because there was no, like, like I said, like some of those things you can, you can take, uh, mayonnaise and ketchup and make it into an aioli. You could take, um, you know, mustard and ketchup. Those things could go good together depending on what they're paired with. But then you have all these conflicting tastes going together. And I think similarly, if you're just like free form throwing stuff together because you don't want to be constrained by labels, like that might be cool for your creative process. You might make something interesting, but to, and you made this point with the sitcoms to your point, like the audience who the music's being delivered to them in a certain package, they're going to open it up and potentially go, this is gross. Yeah. Yeah. The, this, this section of the paper is the one that I think some of my classmates disagreed with the most because their, their side of it would be, well, why, why restrict yourself and why think in terms of what's been done before and in terms of conventions. And I think honestly, to pull this card, I think it is a little bit of an age thing that I think you grow out of that eventually, because with your example, Yes, you mix two things together and you create aioli. And it doesn't even have a name yet. You're the first person to ever do that. Well, then the next time you make it, you do it again and you put it on something. And then you do it a third time. Eventually, you're going to give it a name. Eventually, you're going to recognize the pattern. And that's just what happens. Things are new and groundbreaking. And then they get named and then they get popular. And then you have to come up with something new and groundbreaking. That's just like life. But you can't just, yeah, walk into the kitchen and spin spatulas and ingredients and all this stuff together every time and expect that that's just like how cooking works because it isn't. And you're going to end up, you know, with salmonella if you don't follow some sort of conventions. But well, yeah. So, and like, remember, Sorry, I can I can think of examples for forever, and that's gonna not that's not gonna take us any farther in this discussion. But the last thing I'll add before you move on is like this is a thing that applies to therapy as well. I know we've talked like loosely about it, because there's a there's a whole model in therapy called like multi, like essentially multi-systems, where you take different systems of therapy and you apply them to a client like together. Um, so you might be taking from cognitive behavioral therapy and you might be taking from, you know, gestalt and maybe you're taking from this and that, and you're making this like hodgepodge of techniques, which, you know, sounds great. You can use like whatever works for the client, but at the same time, every therapy technique expects resistance, expects things to go wrong, like has, you know, is expecting, Hey, we're working with a human. Things are going to go up and down, and this is what we do once we get to that hurdle, and this is what that hurdle means. And if you are throwing whatever works at the client to see what sticks, and all those different models are expecting certain things not to stick and not to help you along the path, like, hey, if this doesn't work, that could point to this. 
But if you're just like, well, if it doesn't stick, it doesn't work. I need to keep moving forward. You're gonna, you're gonna miss some of those cues because you're just kind of, you're not committing to any certain therapy. You're not becoming a master of them. So you're more looking for what works instead of like looking at the client almost. Now, not that you can't blend certain therapy techniques together, but even like some of the examples I gave, like cognitive behavioral therapy and gestalt, if you mix those things together, you're mixing together, you know, maple syrup and mustard. Those things don't go together ne- like necessarily. Um, if you're mixing together a therapy that's like all about let's fix the problem that's in your present and you're working with another therapy method it's all about let's figure out what's causing the problem in your unconscious past, like you're going to be going in different directions. Um, so I think to your point too, not that you can't blend certain things, but if you don't become maybe not even a master, but at least a student of certain things, you're not going to even know what you're blending. And in certain areas of life, like that might even be a bad thing and like cause potential harm. Not that you can't mix them, but know at least what you're mixing first. Yeah. And I think you just got at what the what my main point is in the paper is that it's about commitment and it's it's not about commitment to where you end, but it's commitment to where you to starting somewhere like, hey, I'm starting with this method of therapy and I'm going to learn what works. I want to learn what doesn't work and I'm going to innovate on it and make something new. But at least I've I've made a decision. And when you commit, that's the thing that we don't like is when you commit to something, you're saying I'm doing this and then implicitly I'm not doing that. But that's, I think, to do anything good, you have to like make make some sort of you have to start somewhere and you have to pick what you're doing. So I, I do want to jump to the next section. Yes, please. Um, so. The second one is on tone, embrace the absurd. And uh, I was kind of just writing about. So I think I give the example of. When I was younger, I thought that. Uh, like, I, I, I remember a bunch of people who I was friends with. And really, it was all my musician friends and I liked music and they liked music they all loved Radiohead. And this kind of this overlaps a little bit with uh the last section, so you know, maybe I won't spend as long here, but they all loved Radiohead and it was all this stuff that was very like serious, very kind of dark. And there's nothing wrong with either of those things, but just in like a my formative years, I think I had this idea that like that stuff that is darker and more serious is better. And then by extension, stuff that is maybe humorous, maybe, maybe it's a, maybe it's just a song that has like a major chord progression instead of a minor chord progression. It's not as good just by extension. And I do think that there is merit to the fact that like a lot of the better movies are darker 
and a lot of darker stuff is better. So I, I'm not like trashing that idea, but I think, you know, this is my aesthetic statement. And what I value is I value like absurdity and humor. And without, you know, I guess dredging up the whole, like what I get into there is, uh, Wow, that's a sentence I just said that doesn't really make sense. You can tell that I'm thinking while I'm talking. <laughs> but I really like stuff that is Okay, sorry. Here it is. Here it is. In the last section, I was talking about how I can enjoy something from from any genre and any category. But if we zoom in a little bit more, I tend to like stuff that is absurd and humorous. And aesthetically, I like stuff that's like gaudy and kind of like kitschy and it's just like too much. So that that is more what I get into. So I like satire. I like stuff that is like visually speaking, I enjoy when things are like so ornate that it's like ridiculous. Like there should not be that many colors, that many details, that many things going on on one page or on one screen. But I love that. And it's kind of done in a self-aware, ironic way. So I'm, you know, just using a lot of like terms. But as far as examples, uh, yeah, musically, there are artists where when you listen to it, it's just like, man, this is too much and or or here's another i don't know i don't know it's kind of like a, i'm trying to think of examples that you specifically know rich like you know the uh the one video you sent me like the my movie five or whatever it is of the uh the the steering mechanism in the guy's truck i don't know if i do you have to remind me of it well <laughs> There's not much to remind. It's just you're looking at this guy's stick shift, and there's the oh, music playing yes. where it's like na 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 na. The, the thing where we were bone. out to eat with mom and dad, and I was like, <laughs> I was like, I find this silly. I think Tim will find it funny. And mom was like, Well, send it to me. I want to see it too. And I was like, Mom, you just, it's not the only thing it will make you feel is bewilderment and maybe <laughs> shame. <laughs> Yeah, you'll be like puzzled at why I'm crying laughing at this video. Exactly. <laughs> it so so I I I can enjoy minimalist stuff too, but like if you put a gun to my head, I like I'm going to tell you that I like stuff that is just over the over the top if that's a way to put it. I think that it's really cool when an artist can like push into something that's really excessive and they know that it's excessive and they can put the parts together in a way that like, wow, something cool came out of that. And I also kind of switching gears a little bit. I talk in the book or in the paper about how, like I talk about how like life is absurd, you know, like in the world there is, there's evil and, you know, there's the phrase like unspeakable evils that exists in the world. There exists in the world just like funny human nature that like there's 
that doesn't make doesn't make any sense but people are just funny in the way that uh like that's more more so when you see the old like posts on reddit or whatever like you had one job where where it'll be a lot of like construction sites and you know maybe they're paving a sidewalk and the sidewalk goes in some crazy direction around like a piece of trash and it's like okay well why didn't anybody pick up the piece of trash and then the sidewalk could have been straight and it's like no they did way more work to go around it but that's just human nature and so my point is like when you're looking around at the world and all of the stuff that happens, I think that life can be kind of absurd. And so then to me, when an artist has no humor and they come up with either like Hallmark style stuff where just everything is nice and it works the way it's supposed to and it's neat, that's really lame and on the other hand, okay, so go, this is where I was getting into the Radiohead example of like when you make art that it's like, man, only I'm only I'm smart enough to get it. Like, mm. how can you guys be laughing? Like, this is this is serious stuff. And that's more that's more my. That was what I thought Radiohead was when I was 15. Like now I, I can listen to it and get it. But at the time I was like, just why do you have to be so serious like i think i think both of those extremes make no sense and so therefore i think that that's why humor is important that's why comedy is important that's why i think satire you know i've talked a million times on this podcast about catch 22 because that's what i was reading for a project but like when you read that book it's poking so much fun at the idea of like war and it's poking so much fun at like the these characters in the book these men who who oversee the war and you know like if if you were living through the world war the story that you're sold is like this is really serious and this is uh this is a noble fight and this is you know and it it can be all of those things those things can be true but then you zoom in and there's a character who is uh like doing all of this for their own gain or there's another character who just signs off on every paper who that's that's handed to him because he doesn't want to take the time to read it and it's like it's zany when you read the book but it just makes that point that like you don't always have to make a serious case what you believe in or what you don't believe in sometimes you can just like make a joke and everybody laughs because they know it's true like you're in the middle of a world war but ultimately the guy gets tired of reading the papers and so he just signs whatever's handed to him like everybody laughs because they know that that's true and it's not political it's not this it's not that it's just humor and i mm -hmm. think that sometimes when you approach it that way you can make your point better than like really trying to grip down and make your argument so I guess that's some of my thoughts. What was like the word that summarized the section? Did you have one? Uh, I said embrace the absurd. And absurd. then and then the other word, the other word was tone. Okay. So you might be doing a hundred different things, but like the tone of it I'm talking about. Yeah. Humor and absurdity.
I, but, I think that makes sense. So, sorry, I just I don't really have a lot to to comment. It just it's a good argument. Yeah, no. Well, well, that's what I was gonna say. Is I feel like you and I both value well, even like humor know, and like, not taking things too seriously. Well, and you can use humor to talk about something serious, which a lot of people are are doing more and more really well. I think like um, that's why I always loved like Wes Anderson films, like the tone of everything is really happy and everything's really like storybooky and kind of like almost make believey like how perfect stuff is, but then they'll talk about like some serious stuff, you know, there'll be some themes yeah. in the movie that it feels like you're reading like a kid's pop-up book, like made into a movie. But then at the same time, you're like, that's kind of making me really think some stuff. Interesting. Um, and it kind of yeah, disarms and- you in that way. Whereas like Radiohead doesn't necessarily disarm in the same way. I'm not saying anything about them being like bad, like a bad artist or anything, but like, you know what you're getting, what you expect. You're not surprised. Whereas if you're able to kind of like surprise someone by mixing together some multiple tones, or that's why I always love about humor is like humor is it disengages someone. It, it helps that person to relax and let their guard down so that you can kind of then enter into a next level. Yeah. No, again, you're like summarizing the point really well, which is that, yeah, when you when you include some of this stuff, like humor or just, yeah, when Wes Anderson is making a movie, there are layers to that. And the. It's it's not just on face value. So so the Hallmark card. Exactly what you see is what you get. What it says is what it means. And there's not as much to engage with there. But yeah, when when you embrace like some of the humor and yes, lightheartedness and just aesthetic like variety, which can can be what becomes absurd. Yeah, there's a reason for that. It's that. It's that it adds layers. It's that you think you're getting one thing and you get another exactly like you said, or, you know, this was, this was, okay. Now I remember this was the other example I give, uh, in, in the paper is Hey Ya by outcast. Like that's a classic trope is to put together happy music, sad lyrics. Mm -hmm. And that song is played at every wedding and people dance along to it and they don't know like if you ever sit back and read the lyrics to that it's super depressing i'm pretty sure if i remember right it's about like his parents are getting divorced and he's making like he's trying to figure out is this just like how life works you know uh and there's more to it too but yeah i think that there's layers and Mm -hmm the wrong way of looking at humor is like, Oh man, guys, we got to, this is serious stuff. We got to take stuff more seriously. But I think what you're saying is more correct, which is that there's more to it. You know, there's always something serious and humor. There's always something humorous and seriousness. And that's just like, 
that's life. And it's also more effective, by the way, to to incorporate humor. So, yeah. Well, and like, yeah, too, to to tease on the point you're making about Catch-22. Um, I think like humor is human, too. Like, obviously, yeah. like, there's certain points where like humor goes too far and that becomes it becomes like a dysfunction. But I know like several people who were in the military. And it's like this mixture of like there's things they won't talk about. There's things that were very impactful and and maybe hurt or scarred them. But then they also just have some stories that they love to tell because of how funny they were. Yeah, and I think like that's what humans do. Like humor is one of the things that helps make life enjoyable and also helps us like cope with stuff. So if you want to make something that's like human. Um, you have to include some amount of humor or else it's going to lose that, that point. Or if you're not including humor, that even could say something like the exclusion of humor could be saying something or the over inclusion inclusion of humor could be saying something, but like, that's like part of the condition, you know? Yeah. I think I gave this, this before when I was talking about catch 22, but in the introduction of the book, it was talking about how the book was received, obviously like incredibly well, it became a huge, huge success and it found success with like staunch anti-war people and with soldiers, like exactly what you're saying, because it's not some book titled like, Here's why war is bad. The dark underbelly mm-hmm. that is going to just stir people up and like divide them. But this novel that's like humorous. Anybody can can because it's human, like you said, anybody can look at it and be like, yeah, well, this is this is just true. This is just how life life is. And it's not as much about the divisive things that could be said. It's about we all get the joke here. You know, we all get this. We all get that it can be like absurd and funny sometimes to have like such a serious. uh, I mean, that's one of the themes of the book is like such a serious thing as war. You've still just got human nature in the center of it. And you just kind of have to like sit back and laugh. So yeah, definitely. And with the other thing you were saying, it's actually on my mind right now because just yesterday, I don't know, you probably didn't see, but there was this clip of uh, Ron DeSantis and he mm. got questioned by a reporter and he just kind of like snaps on them. Like he kind of kind of goes off on them. And I think people, some of what people were saying is like, oh, he's trying to be Trump. He's trying to be the tough guy. And like push back on the reporters. But uh, what I this podcast I was listening to um, or the news, I guess they made the point of like the difference between what he did and what Trump did is that Trump would like make a joke and he would try to disarm the situation. And if it couldn't be disarmed, (laughs) then that's when he would like go berserk. Whereas Mm -hmm. in this clip, DeSantis just goes straight to going berserk 
And, mm. you know, like or dislike either of those guys, the point is that humor, like you were saying, it's disarming. And it also shows confidence. And again, you know, like, like or dislike, agree or disagree. When you can say something to somebody and they can just like laugh it off and make a joke, that does project confidence uh, more so than, than like being defensive. So, yeah, that's I think that that's the we get the point. That's the second section. Uh, and the third one. And again, these kind of dovetail into each other. And I, I feel like I'm going really long. So I apologize about that. But I this third section is on content. Embrace the ambiguous. And this does go along with. Uh, with what we we're saying. I think that. I think that increasingly a lot of art and a lot of writing, a lot of music, a lot of stuff is becoming increasingly, I guess, preachy, if that's the word, but that's not really the word. It's becoming increasingly, I guess, flat or like I was saying with the Hallmark card, it's like what you see is what you get. And I don't think that that is good art. Now, I do think that good art does make a point and it does say uncomfortable things and it does rub people the wrong way. So all of that is great. But I think that for a variety of reasons today, we feel the pressure to like really just smack people be like, did you get the point? Did you get the point? Did you get the joke? Like, do you understand? Mm. You know, I uh, think of, I don't know if you ever watched that Netflix movie, um, Don't Look Up, with mm. Leonardo DiCaprio a couple years ago. That was the so, climate change as a meteorite movie. Yeah, exactly. The, uh, gosh, I'm trying to remember the exact plot, but yeah, like there's some catastrophe. The meteor is coming. And there's this scientist who is going around trying to warn everybody that the world is about to end and the world just continues on like normal. Now, just saying that, I'm like, that actually could be a cool movie because, again, the the humor is there. Like the world mm -hmm. is about to end and people just go on about normal life. That could be really funny. It's like Truman Show, like Truman Show almost. Yeah, yeah. The The trailer, though. As one example, you know, you've seen movie trailers before, you know what they look like, and it's interspersed with like words, you know, like coming soon to a theater near you, except what it says in the trailer for Don't Look Up is based on a true story, dot, 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 that hasn't happened yet. And just, yeah, the the whole movie is very much like it couldn't be more. I, I don't even know the word, but other than just to say what like I said earlier, the, the in your face. It's it's obvious. just like the whole time there's obvious. Yeah, there's an elbow on your side the whole time. Like, hey, man, you get it. Do you get what I'm saying? Do you get it? And it's like, uh, just back off a little bit. I'm not I'm not upset about the message, but it's just not a good. <laughs> it's just not a good movie. Maybe preachy is the word. And so I guess what I'm saying in this section of 
the paper is I think things should be a little more ambiguous. And again, under that ambiguity, there can be a harsh message. But, you know, I think this is it. I think it's that you have to trust people. You have to trust the audience enough to be smart and figure it out. And you have to risk that people might not get the message the first time they watch the movie. The first time they read the book, they might not pick all of it up. But isn't that a good thing? Like, don't you want your work to be layered where you can return to it and keep getting new stuff? Like, I think I talked last week about The Scarlet Letter. And The Scarlet Letter has a lot to say about religion and hypocrisy and all those sorts of things but no character ever comes out and says hey guys just wanted to let you know the puritans are bad that just that ruins it it's like nope i think people are smart and i think that people will get the message but you have to it you know it's just a paradox like the more you try to like force feed somebody they're they're not going to get it but i think that if you allow for interpretation and even if you have an idea of this is what i think it means you know sometimes people watch a movie they listen to a song and they walk away with a different meaning and that's mm-hmm. okay because it's it's art you know if you want to get into uh Man, I should be careful what I'm saying here. Like, if you want to get into politics, you can be a politician. And again, there's so much good political art. So, you know, give me some space here. But if maybe a better way to say it is if you want to say things the most clear, direct way possible, then just get up and give a speech. But if you choose like a different art form, like a painting, then you're going to have to this goes back to the first thing like you have to you have to you have to commit to your form and there's ways that paintings give messages that are different than the ways songs give messages that are different than the way speeches give messages and none of them are like inherently right or wrong but if you are a painter then don't just paint the words like tax the rich because that's not really art you know like there's better ways you could could do that but it's through the vehicle of a painting and uh, ambiguity is a big part of that and when i was writing this i struggled with the word ambiguity because it's not that i think things should be ambiguous it's just more so of what i was saying like I think you have to allow people to interpret it for themselves and walk away with their own conclusions because their own conclusions will be stronger. So I guess I'll, I'll pause there. That's kind of my well, and, thought, but yeah. yeah. Like I, I think too, it's you, if you're trying to make a message with your art, I feel like that ambiguity makes your message stronger because there's a return to it like um 
Wow. Wow. I, I can't believe I'm having a problem with his name. Tolkien, when he's writing Lord of the Rings, you know, there's a lot of things he wasn't trying to make overt messages about. But people liked his work so much and the fact that it was layered. But to this day, there's a million YouTube channels where all they do is talk about what a certain character could mean. Um, and they're just unpacking that over and over. So like... So that way, too, certain things he's trying to say, certain messages he's trying to say that he's not overtly going out and like slapping people in the face with, people keep coming back to those messages and digesting them. Like that, that's kind of like what you want. But if it's too overt and in people's faces, all you're going to do is you're going to create groups where one group says, oh, these people get it. I like them. And other people go, ugh. And like, don't want anything to do with it. But if you're able to coat that and you're able to make it so it can be impact, like, yeah, some people might interpret it incorrectly. But even they, in interpreting it incorrectly, are returning to the piece and the chances there that your message will, will seep through or the people will unpack it in a different way. And that's like what you want. A, a, A point... I was thinking of, or a question I was thinking of, a theory maybe for the last, um, what else could I say? A statement, a presupposition. Proposal. Um, <laughs> yes, a proposal. Uh, for the last point, talking about like humor too, was how I feel like a lot of the younger kids' uh, humor from from my own personal experience with like working with like high school kids um, is it seems to be that sort of absurd like a bunch of just pictures of skulls like decorating people's gear shifts and going da 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 but then randomly it'll be like capitalism is destroying our hearts at the very end uh, <laughs> and i wonder if there and, and same thing too with like with movies and there's certain there's art that people are making that just have the message very blunt and clear um and almost sneak it in, like force it in at the end. And I do wonder if it comes from a sense of like generalized stress and anxiety. Like there's so many things that need to change. There's so many things that people are like, we can't, we're going to kill ourselves if things keep going on this way, that it almost like feels like you have to force it. It has to be quick. It has to People have to be hearing it over and over again. It has to be overt and clear um, to the point where it's almost become kind of like a joke for certain things. Um, hmm. Yeah, that's that's like one of so my old coworkers. Oh, he was hilarious. He was hilarious when I worked at the coffee shop. Uh, he was hilarious. But whenever we were getting whenever we would get stressed, he would always make the same joke. And it was the Industrial Revolution has ruined us all. <laughs> and I thought it was hilarious. But then also yeah. you have these really deep talks about that. Um, and, I, and it's kind of one of those things where like he really meant that. But we'd also use it as a joke to just almost get it out. there as like propaganda all the time. And I wonder if there if there isn't some reason why that's the case. Yeah. No, for sure. I think that I've definitely read about people thinking that – so there there can be 
a tie between like absurdism and nihilism. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's that is true. That can be true. And then because that is one thing that can be true, you know, you do get a bunch of like Ben Shapiro types who anything ironic, anything that's a little bit absurd, like now that's that's the enemy because that means it's nihilistic. I do think that that is one part of it. But I also when you look at like TikTok humor and stuff. First off, I think it. There. So so what we're talking about, this sort of absurd stuff like has happened before because there was cubism. There was, I think, Mm. like Dadism. I don't know how you pronounce it. So first off, it's not new, which I think should give people you know, an excuse to chill out a little bit. But also I think that it has to do with, there are like kids who have grown up with the internet. There are all those stats about, you know, you get, you get advertised 60,000 messages a day. And I think there's this thing where like your brain is just getting told stuff nonstop And so I think it's just a little bit of that rebellious thing of like, hey, you know what I think is funny? You're advertising this to me. You're advertising that to me. You're telling me this. You're telling me that. Well, I think a stick shift is funny. So so what now? You know, it's kind (laughs) of like that stepping back and just being like, I don't give a crap. You know, and I think that's what a lot of like so much stuff today is ironic and self-aware and like you're saying, like the industrial revolution is like, you mean that, but also you're saying that is a joke. And the reason for a lot of that, I don't think is just nihilism. I think it's a little bit of like, just, uh, you know, I, I hate to keep giving, <laughs> I feel like we're giving so many analogies this episode, but it's like the, uh, it's like the person who grows up kind of the stereotypical like you grow up real prim and proper and so therefore that person even though they're like a billionaire they grow up to wear like hoodies and ripped jeans because just Mm -hmm. like if you're if you're in such a system for so long and you feel like you're being told what to do and controlled then sometimes the sometimes your personality manifests itself as being the guy who's like yeah, well, you know what? I'm actually not afraid to look like a slob. So what now? You can't control me. And I don't think Mm -hmm. that's a bad thing at all. You know, if it comes from an unhealthy place, sure. But if not, then not. And I think that, yeah, that does have to do with the absurdity section we were talking about. I think it has to do with the ambiguity section too. Because again, it's like, so many messages a day, so much being told, this is what's right, this is what's wrong, and like culture wars and fighting. And, you know, I think there's a thing where like maybe millennials were more everything has to have a message. And I think Gen Z is just as passionate about what they believe in. But, you know... I think that there's an understanding that like there are different parts of our lives and uh, you know, when I want to watch a movie, I just want to watch an awesome movie. 
And when I want to listen to a song, I want to listen to a song. And when I want to talk politics, then yeah, let's go. But it's not maybe what previous generations had where it was like, oh, we need to make everything we do. We have to be making a difference at all times and we have to be fixing the world at all times. I just don't think that's realistic. So you'll almost make less of a difference. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is like it's it's more of like a flash in the pan. People get it. People get your message. But then it just fades into obscurity. But if you really if you hook them with the ambiguity. Like they will return back to it naturally. It's like a a mental Rubik's Cube. They'll want to think about it more. It'll interest them more. They might like it for other reasons. And so, like, return back to it. Yeah, we we don't have to. If it's just propaganda, then they'll, yeah, they'll be like, ugh. Like a great example, and we don't have to, like, fully unpack this example. But just think, if you're listening to this, if you've ever seen a Christian movie, just Think about what we're saying and think about why Christian movies are so bad. It's because every scene has to be making the right point and nothing can be, you know, there's no, there's no like uh, just reality, which is sometimes people are good. Sometimes people are bad. And that is what it is. Something can come through that as opposed to, no, every song on this album has to make a Christian point. And that just it just doesn't work. So yeah, so those are my three things. Um the three statements were embrace an angle, embrace the absurd, and embrace the ambiguous. And you know, like I was saying at the beginning, these are the things I value, and you may or may not agree. That's fine, but uh, at least by disagreeing, I think that's a good opportunity to sit back and say like, okay, so then what do I value? You know, if Tim's values aren't my values, then what are mine? And I think that figuring that stuff out helps you create better stuff. Hey, everyone. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Thanks for listening. Uh, we host this episode and all of our episodes over at our Substack, Coming Along Nicely. And Tim also does some writing over there as well. It, I'm a little biased, but it's pretty great. You can find him at As It Were or at nicely.substack.com. We'll see you guys in the next one.